So we are in the middle of uh, a sermon series called Explore God, and uh, today we're going to ask the question and, and, ho- and turn to the scriptures and hopefully find an answer f- to this question, uh, why do so many Christians act like jerks? <laughs> Amen. So if you have questions during this whole series, we would love to hear from you. You can text questions you have that are corollary to this to the phone number that's up there on the screen uh, during the sermon. Uh, there at the bottom. You can just text to that number. It'll go uh, into a queue, and uh, during the sermon series, we'll try to answer those that we can uh, that fit. Uh, Otherwise, we'd be glad to respond to you or uh, give you direction or maybe a resource. Uh, If you would like, just ask for a response back. So text your questions in. You can do that during the sermon if you'd like. Also, we have a discussion group coming up. Uh, Actually, it starts this week uh, at Haymaker, which is just up the street, and um, you can find more information out as you leave through these doors. There's cards that are about this size. In fact, they're exactly this size. And you can grab some of those, uh, hand them out to your friends if you would like. Uh, it's, a, it's a guided discussion around many of the questions that we're discussing uh, during the sermon series because I know that it's unfair, but it is a re- self-evident reality that this is not dialogue. I am talking to you. Uh, I try to talk with you outside of opportunities like this. Well, the Explore God discussion groups are an excellent opportunity to engage in guided discussion. And these are guided discussions, so it's not absolute. We're going to, you know, there's going to be clubs and things like that uh, just in case anyone gets out of line. Uh, So it should be guided. Um, The Crusades, the Inquisition, witch trials, veggie tales, These are all things that people look at and say Christianity definitely cannot be true because look at all these Christians doing horrible things like the Crusades, like the Inquisition, like VeggieTales. If you have not been subject to watching the same VeggieTales episode on repeat, because your three-year-old will scream at the top of her lungs. If you do not, then you have no business judging me putting into this line of reasoning VeggieTales. So here's where you're at. Let's bring it down a bit, okay? And there are many of us who wrestle with that even for those, some of us uh, who are Christians wrestle with that. Like, how, how is it that Christians can behave in this way? And one of the things I would just encourage you, for those of us that aren't Christians, who, by the way, I'm so glad you're here. I know, uh, like, you're, you're excited to be here, too, because you know I'm going to be yelling at some Christians. So I'm glad you're here. Great day for you to be here. But one of the things I would encourage you to do is, if you find yourself consistently looking at things like the Crusades, like the Inquisition, like the witch trials, and saying, you know, Christians are bad, look at those things, I just want to ask you uh, to expand your worldview a bit, because those are very Western criticisms of Christianity. You you should see how bad it is in places like India, Ethiopia, Egypt, and Iraq. There are Christ- people in the name of Jesus behaving unlike Jesus all over the world. So I just want to give you some more ammunition. Okay? Just, just expand, get out of the Western uh, civilization uh, history book. Look at the rest of the world. It's, there are all sorts of different ways that people in the name of Jesus or who claim to follow Jesus have behaved or acted like jerks. But then there are things, there are ways in which Christians 
aren't acting like jerks. In fact, they're trying to live out the gospel. I'll just tell you, at Desert Springs, uh, one of the ways we uh, put, try to put the gospel into practice is through acts of compassionate service. In fact, we wrote it up on the wall. Uh, we have a team that's going to Houston. Uh, actually, we have multiple trips to Houston. You guys, I'm sure, are aware that a hurricane swept through Houston last year, leaving in its wake uh, just hundreds of thousands of homes devastated. Uh, I was there last month. Uh, we're sending a team next month and a few more. So here's the deal. Today uh, at uh, 12.30 in the lobby, if you want to know more information on what it looks like to be a part of one of these trips— uh, be there today in the lobby. We're just going to have an information meeting. You're not signing up. You're not committing to anything. If you just want to know more, what would it look like for me or, or someone I know or maybe my team to go on one of these trips, uh, I'd love to share that with you. The meeting will be about 50 minutes to an hour out in the lobby. So if you want to grab lunch, bring it. Love to see you in the lobby today at 1230. One of the other ways that we try to put the gospel into practice is through serving uh, those who are in specific need like those who are in the foster care system. And as you walked in, you should see, or you, should, you maybe saw on the back these tags here. Uh, we're in the middle of a welcome bag drive. And so what we're doing is these kids, when they, they're coming out of a pretty rough situation, that's why they're going into the foster care system, as they transition out of what they're used to, even though it's painful, even though it's chaotic, they're going into a place they're very unfamiliar with. And the majority of the time, they do not get to take anything with them. Things happen very quickly. If you could just just maybe imagine what it would mean for a child to be put, you know, taken out of their home into a foster care system, the type of environment and circumstance that would beget that. So these kids, they're, they're oftentimes they're in their pajamas, oftentimes it's 3 a.m., they're scared, and so... So one of the things we can do is give them a teddy bear and uh, these welcome bags. So uh, you guys can grab uh, some of the tags off the van. I was just thinking about my little girl. <clears throat> these are our kids. And we have money. And we go shopping. And we can get these kids something to make that transition a little easier. So today... Uh, after the service, go back to the back, grab a, uh, a few of the tags. In fact, you should grab all the tags, I think. Uh, you can grab a tag. If you want us to do the shopping, there are some tags where you can take off for a certain dollar amount, um, and you can, uh, you can just give, give the money to the team. All the dollars that are given are going to go right to those gifts. We'll do the shopping for you. If you want to do the shopping, which I would encourage you to do, you can uh, take those uh, tags off the back. Basically, by taking a tag, you're committing to getting those things and then you're going to bring them back. And our amazing student ministry is going to put those bags together, uh, I think, next week or in the next couple weeks. So you all need to be bringing that stuff back uh, this next Sunday. So there are many things that Christians do that is, are, it's good. It's living out the gospel. But there are many ways that, that Christians act sometimes like jerks. And as a church family, I know this firsthand. In fact, I printed out a list of ways you guys have treated me over the last... <laughs> 17 years I've been here at this church, and so it's time for Pastor Caleb's airing of grievances. We're going to start in alphabetical order. Alex, one day, three years ago, you were mean to me in the parking lot. I'm just kidding. At our starting point meeting, which we do for uh, folks who are newer to Desert Springs, and by the way, if you're newer to Desert Springs, you can find out about our starting point dinners. Uh, in the back of the seat in front of you is a ministry guide. Check that out. You can sign up for our next one. But one of the things that we do is we talk about 
our, our church family at those starting point dinners, one of the guarantees I make to everyone is if you uh, begin to call Desert Springs your church home, I 100% guarantee that you will be sinned against. I 100% guarantee you will be sinned against by people in this congregation, and likely the worst person who will sin against you is me. I, somebody will say a harsh word. Somebody will be, act in a judgmental way. Somebody will lie to you. Somebody will gossip about you. If you are a part of Desert Springs, I 100% guarantee that you will be sinned against. Are you interested in joining the church? <laughs> Here's why I make that 100% guarantee, because the majority of the New Testament, uh, outside of the Gospels and the book of Acts, are letters by, from pastors or ministry leaders written to people within the church saying things like this. Forgive one another. Be long-suffering with one another. Show charity to one another, right? Be, like, stay, fight for unity. If we were all perfect, none of those things would make sense. The only way those commands make sense is if we are sinning against each other, and so you will have many opportunities to grow in grace. <laughs> or you will isolate yourself completely away from authentic community, and you will die slowly. The only way to avoid being sinned against by people, C.S. Lewis says, and I'll, I'll paraphrase, the only way to avoid being sinned against by other people is to lock yourself in a coffin. So we know that Christians many times can act like jerks. And I will just answer the question uh, directly. Why do so many Christians act like jerks? Here's the answer. Because they are living disconnected from their worldview. To put it another way, they are living disconnected from the gospel. They are living out of step with the gospel. That's why Christians so many times can act like jerks. Let's dig in. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 16. We'll have it up on the screen here uh, as I begin to read. Galatians 2, 11 through 16. You are going to see two of the most, some of the most popular Christians, a dude named uh, Peter and a dude named Paul. And Mary isn't a part of this, but Anyone from the 60s? Okay, anyone from the 60s actually remember Peter, Paul, and Mary? I know some of us were in the 60s, but we might not remember. Okay, so Peter and Paul are here, and this is the context. The dude named Paul is writing about a moment in time where he confronts his buddy, his fellow pastor, Peter. Now, the name that, that Paul uses uh, for Peter is Cephas, so I don't want you to get thrown. Uh, that's the name that Paul uses here, and I'm going to read uh, the text here, and one of the things that you'll see is that Peter was acting like a jerk. Here we go. This is Galatians uh, 2, 11 through 16. Let me put it up on the screen. But when Cephas came to Antioch, TV time out, remember Cephas is who? Peter. When Cephas uh, came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his, say it with me, face. Notice he didn't gossip about him behind his back. That was free. <laughs> to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, that's another leader in the church, he was eating with the Gentiles. 
But when, he, uh, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Two points. Number one, I want you to see that what Peter is doing is his normal mode of operation is to eat with people who are not like him, the Gentiles. He's Jewish, they're Gentiles. Used to be when he was Jewish. He wouldn't have anything to do with Gentiles. Now, because of the gospel, he's eating, and by the way, eating with somebody, eating with uh, Gentiles, in this case, is a means of acceptance and love. Y'all with me on that? So whoever you put around your dinner table, those are people you are accepting and loving. And so he's accepting and loving these Gentiles, but then some of his Jewish buddies come cruising along, and all of a sudden, the people that he was hanging out with, because it's now, it's a cultural taboo, Peter steps back. And he begins to, ex- to exclude himself from, he, he begins to no longer have those people at his table. Do you see? The second point is I would just like to point out that there is no party like a circumcision party. <laughs> now, I was going to make a ton of jokes, but I decided to cut them out. <laughs> it would be nuts to be making so many jokes like that. That's it, I'm done. The circumcision party are the, is the group of people that carried in their religious tradition and were judging the Gentiles, okay? So that's who they were. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted, what's the word? Hypocritically, along with him, so that even Barnabas, who was another leader, was led astray by their, what's the word? Hypocrisy. But when I saw that their, here we go, when I saw that their conduct was what? Not in step with the truth of the gospel. Why do Christians many times act like jerks? They are not living in step with the gospel. But when, verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, who's Peter, before them all, if you, though a Gentile, live like, uh, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And then he goes on, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet, here we go, yet we know, so remember, this is Paul talking to Peter. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, namely not being with Gentile sinners. Yet we know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. What Paul does when he sees Peter acting hypocritically is he goes to his brother Peter to his face and says, he doesn't, notice he doesn't say, Peter, racism, ethnocentrism, that's bad, stop doing that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, Peter, you're being a hypocrite, naughty Christian, stop being a hypocrite. What does Paul say to Peter? Peter, look at your life, Peter, You are not living in step with the truth of the gospel. Why do Christians oftentimes act like jerks? Because we oftentimes are tempted to live out of step, out of line, untethered or disconnected from the gospel. 
Moreover, that type of behavior, if you look at verse 13, one of the fascinating things is Peter's a pastor. He's a leader, and by his hypocrisy, he leads many others astray. Did you see it in the text? What are the repercussions of Peter's living out of line with the gospel? Many others followed with him. Do our choices have consequences? Okay. Now, I want to be fair. Christians ain't the only ones being hypocrites. Christians ain't the only ones not living out their worldview. In fact, many of us here today, we're not sure what we believe. There are some of us here today who are, who are thinking, okay, so either Jesus exists, created all things, or maybe we're nothing more than the products of random chance. Maybe, you know, two molecules smashed together and here we are and, and that's just it. So if you're coming from that view, that worldview, I want to lean into something just for you. If you think... You know, there's no, there's no God, this whole Jesus thing's stupid. Uh, if you're coming from that view, I, I want to lean in on something and ask you, if you've ever said to yourself, giving gift bags to foster kids is a good thing to do, and I will sacrifice to do it. Thank you, by the way. But two, why do you think that? If those, and I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be intentionally crass, and so I need you guys to bear with me. Is that okay? I'm gonna be intentionally crass here. If those kids are nothing more than the product of random chance, then what happens to those kids means nothing to me. If they're just sacks of chemicals, who cares the quality of life that they have? I would ask, are you living out the implications of your worldview, or are you borrowing religious or Christian morality without being honest about it. There is this uh, uh, dichotomy that exists in the world today, and you see it uh, over the last 100 years, <clears throat> where philosophers and individuals, they will say, you and I are nothing more than the products of random chance, so love your neighbor as yourself. Reason and logic tell us that you and I are nothing more than a mistake, so be moral. There is a divide between those two things. There is a giant chasm between the who I am and who we all are and how I should behave. If there's anything going on in the world today that you think is, is wrong, just wrong, then you believe in some absolute standard of what's good. But if you and I are nothing more than the products of chance, why do you think that? Are you being hypocritical in doing good? Or at least thinking that there is a good? Uh, Francis Schaeffer, who is a, a philosopher and theologian, uh, traveled around Europe, did a bunch of cool stuff. Anyways, he's got a really cool name, Francis Schaeffer. So he says this. So he's criticizing the philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre who's an existentialist philosopher who said we're nothing more than, I'm gonna just butcher Sartre's uh, excellent um, writing. He says this, you and I are nothing more than the products of random chance. Life is meaningless, so, there's, so then that's it. There's no such thing as good and evil, there's no moral action, there's just you and I are nothing more than the products of random chance, and he tried to live that out. And he believed in this modern dichotomy, Schaefer says, a blind, optimistic hope of meaning based on a leap of faith. 
a blind, optimistic hope of meaning. I hope I have meaning, based on a leap of faith. Ration, the uh, rational and logical side of us gives us no meaning, so why do you have hope in meaning in life? And this is what uh, Schaefer says. Therefore, those who have sponsored the modern dichotomy of reason and meaning, namely, reason tells us we're nothing more than mistakes, and meaning tells us we should do good, he says this, those who have sponsored the modern dichotomy of reason and meaning have not been able to live with it. They haven't been able to live with it. I want to ask, are you able to live with the implications of your worldview? Sartre quarreled with Camus because he felt Camus, who's another philosopher, was not being consistent with their basic presuppositions. And this was true. But neither was Sartre consistent when he signed the Algerian Manifesto. He took a deliberately moral attitude and said that the war was an unjust and dirty war. Do you see that Sartre here, and this is something you, you should look up. Actually, it might be in your Western Civ book. Sartre says, we're nothing more than the products of random chance. There is no meaning to life. We make up our own meaning. There's no such thing as right and wrong. There's no such thing as good and evil. Then he put pen to paper condemning a war for being evil. Do you see the disconnect? Can you live with the implications of your worldview? We're not the only ones being hypocritical. But let me pick on Christians again because it's generally fun for us, isn't it? There are two types of hypocrisies within Christianity. Self-righteous, the hypocrisy of self-righteousness. I do good, therefore God loves me. It's religious self-righteousness. I'm a good person. And the second hypocrisy within Christianity is apathy. God loves me and that has no bearing on what I do. It's two primary hypocrisies within Christianity, at least in my understanding. Self-righteousness and apathy. We see this all over the place. You see here Paul saying to Peter, you're not living in line with the gospel. Verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. There's that song, it's popular, it's a nice little ditty. It goes like this. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That's, that's getting at the heart of Christianity. At the center of Christianity is a man dying for his enemies, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the center of Christianity. That does not lead people to be jerks. Every time one of Jesus' followers tried to pick up the sword, he told him to put it down. Many of Jesus' followers wanted him to kill Caesar, which he could have done. And Jesus died at the hands of one of Caesar's pawns instead. So there's two fundamental hip hip uh, hypocrisies within Christian church. Christopher Hitchens, who is an excellent author, he's passed away, I think, cancer. He wrote a book called God is Not Great. He's an atheist. And he says this, Religious faith, as evidenced by ordinary followers, is the single strongest proof that there is no God. So, if you follow Jesus, you're probably ordinary. I mean, no offense, me too. We're just ordinary followers of Jesus, okay? So I want you to internalize this if you follow Jesus. Religious faith, as evidenced by ordinary followers, is the single strongest proof that there is no God. Far from all the philosophical arguments, 
People are looking at your life to decide if the gospel is legitimate or not. Far from all of your arguments, far from all of the books that you might recommend, far from all of the podcasts that you share, people are looking at your life and wondering, is the gospel legitimate or not? Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you, the scripture says. The implication is because people are looking at you and might ask you why you're so different. At work, the gospel tells us to work as if unto the Lord. And there are many who could say, my boss has a Bible on his desk and says he's Christian, but he keeps cheating those numbers so it makes the investors look, so the investors will look better at him. And he indiscriminately fires people and treats us like trash, but he's got that Bible on his desk. In the home, I was talking to somebody recently. He says he's a Christian. He quotes Bible verses all the time, and then he uses them to justify beating me. You want to get fun? You want to start, go ahead and start drafting that email you're going to send to me tomorrow? How about politics? It could well be that people trying to garner support from a subculture may say the magic words, I'm an evangelical Christian, and actually not be living out the values of Christ. That may happen. King Saul said, in the, in the, in the scriptures, said he followed God. He was the Lord's anointed, and he was a greedy bully. David was the Lord's anointed, King David. And he was a murdering adulterer. And I wanna just, I'm, 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 we're just gonna do this right now. We're gonna have this talk. If our allegiance is to a political figure, if that allegiance is so strong that when a minister condemns an outright sin, we recoil and say, never question the Lord's anointing, we are worshiping a cult of personality, not the Lord. Listen, every time that these kings, who were God's anointed, behaved in ways that were jerk-ish, like murdering and adultery, God would send a prophet to condemn not the king, but the king's actions. Condemning the king's actions is not the same as questioning the anointing of the Lord, or the Lord's dominion, or the Lord's power, or the Lord's choice. If Christians are not able to speak directly against unrepentant sin in their leadership, then the church is neutered, has lost its power, and might as well just become a political party. We're done. In the church, this hypocrisy, In the last five years of my life, I have watched eight leaders who are influential in my life live out of step with the gospel and do damage to thousands of people. Many of us are here 
We, we came unwillingly. We got dragged here because we swore we were never going to step foot in a church again because that pastor sinned against me. That pastor hurt me. Or that pastor swept it under the rug. Or that ministry leader was a, a, a demon. Or they abused me. We could probably go around the room giving testimony to how we have seen within the church people who proclaim the name of Jesus acting in ways that are out of step with the gospel. Do you, do you think we could do that? Yes. Okay, we're not going to do that right now. But listen to me here. You need to talk it out. And you gotta go to Jesus. And you gotta trust that these imperfect people, that, that Jesus is gonna place some imperfect people in your life to bring blessing and healing. If you haven't talked it out, you gotta you got to talk to a counselor. You gotta to talk to, if you wanna to talk to us, you talk to us. You wanna to talk to a pastor, talk to a pastor. You wanna to talk to an elder, talk to an elder. But if you're sitting on it and it's killing you every day slowly, man, in Jesus' name, I don't care if it's this church, another church, a counselor, I don't care where it is, in Jesus' name, you gotta, you gotta exercise that demon to find healing in the name of the Lord. That is not the Lord's intent for you to live wounded in pain by his church. So Christians oftentimes will act like jerks. But that's not really the question that I think the scripture asks. See, we all came here looking for Pastor Caleb to pick on the people we don't like. And I think I've done a fairly good job at some of that. <laughs> the question isn't why, don't, why do Christians, why do so many Christians act like jerks? The question is, do I? Am I living in step with the gospel? Am I living out my worldview? Am I living with integrity? Am I saying one thing with my mouth and acting another way with my life? Am I leading in the workplace as Christ would have me to lead? Am I a husband or a father or a mother or a wife or a daughter or a son who is behaving, who is living in step with the gospel in these imperfect situations that I find myself in? The better question is not, why do so many of them act like jerks? The better question is, do I? And some of us say, well, yeah, 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 but what if I see people sinning? I heard this just this last week. We are not called to be Jesus' lawyer. We are called to be like Jesus. And you're not a very good lawyer for Jesus. But we can entrust ourselves to him. We are not called to be the sin police. People will not be transformed if you inform them of their sin. People will be transformed if you live like Jesus and point to Jesus with your life, with your attitude, with your time, your energy, your talents, and your resources. Galatians 6, one through two says this. If anyone is caught in sin, and I mean caught not like, haha, I caught you. I mean caught like, like an animal, like a deer with antlers is caught in a thicket. They can't get out of it, do you see? If anyone is caught or wrapped up in sin, you who are spiritual or spiritually mature should restore them. What was the word I just said? Restore them with a spirit, listen now, of gentleness. And keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What if my, what if I, 
What if I see that somebody's doing aberrant behavior? I, I should put it on Facebook. No. No. If anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritually mature should restore them with a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself that you be tempted, tempted to judge. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love God and love neighbor as yourself. Are we living in such a way that the 250,000 people live in a five-mile radius of this campus who have yet to meet Jesus look at their life and say, my life is chaos. My life is in deep pain. I feel empty. I don't know who I am or why I'm here. I am like a kid on a boat in a storm without an anchor. I'm drifting. And I don't know about religion, and I don't know about God, but those people over there, that, that Desert Springs fam, something's up. So I'm going to check and see if maybe they know where I can find the answers to these questions. Are we living, church family, are we living in such a way that that question gets asked? Some of us are newer to Desert Springs, and I'm so glad you're here. I want to talk to those of us that have been here for a while. I think, I think that the Lord wants us to remove that black cloth so we can fill this place. I think God wants to do a mighty work through this church family. But before, I think before he's doing that, he's doing a work on this church family. Are we living in such a way that is so in step with the gospel that when people look in, they say, I don't know about religion, I don't know about what I'm hearing, but what I'm seeing, there's something there. Are we living in step with the gospel? We're going to end. Uh, I'm going to ask the band to come up. Um, here's how we're going to end today. Uh, we're going to have a song. It's a song that I would ask. We're going to put the words on the screen, and I would just ask that you would contemplate on these words. And in this moment, here's what I'm asking you to do, Christian or not. And I know if you're not a Christian, maybe you don't believe in prayer. I'll just ask you to take a chance. I think prayer works. Give it a shot. For those of us especially that follow after Jesus, I would ask that you would take stock of your life and ask, Lord, am I living in step with the gospel? I don't want to do these good things to try to earn your love. I know that it is your grace that showered on me. I, I, I am broken, but I could never be loved more by you. And it's out of that grace, Lord, that I want to live. And so, Lord, and this is the question, would you reveal to me now, in this moment, I'm going to ask you to pray this, would you reveal to me now, Am I living out of step with the gospel? And if the Lord, if the Spirit moves in such a way, I would encourage you to repent, to turn from that sin, to admit it to the Lord, to ask for strength, to ask for wisdom. Then I would encourage you to reflect on the words of this song. For we, we are not a people who need to pay penance. We are a people who cling to the grace of the Lord.